Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. You may be seated. We're going to jump right in and try to get going here this morning because... Uh, we have things that we need to get to, and so our time is uh, a little bit more restricted. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and then, to make matters uh, more interesting, um, I have a sermon that I've had a very terrible time trying to cut and to condense. And so I know I'm working off of a manuscript that is definitely definitely should be divided into two sermons, And I have to be conscious of the time, so if I can, I'm going to try to speak quickly, but that ought to help you to try to focus better, right? Because you have to listen a little bit more intently. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 19. Now, his daughter-in-law, talking about Eli, the priest... Phineas's wife was with child due to be delivered, and when she heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, neither did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. This is an unusual Mother's Day sermon, but it is one that I think is very important. It's something that falls in line with the things that we've been discussing, of things that we need to know in the scriptures. The title is Ichabod. The glory, of, the glory has departed from Israel. That's pretty self-explanatory, but it is subtitled, A Mother's Day Lament. Now, the thesis for our sermon here this morning is this. Our text shows us the consequences of sin and the hope that we have in God's faithfulness, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, it shows us the aftermath of a devastating defeat suffered by the Israelites, revealing the consequences of their disobedience and relying upon material objects instead of trusting in God's power. During the era of the judges, Israel turned away from God and adopted false gods, leading to frequent military defeats and oppression. Facing a threat from the Philistines, the Israelites believed that the Ark of the Covenant would guarantee them victory, but they suffered a crushing defeat here in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and lost it to the enemy. Eli and his sons, who managed the ark, died in battle, highlighting the dangers of disobedience and the importance of faith in God's power. 
So our text this morning serves as a cautionary tale for us to avoid repeating the mistakes of the Israelites and to trust in God's power above all else. So first thing we have to do is consider the context of the glory lost, which is the background information for our text. And so we are going to set the stage by understanding that this was a time period when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges, and that's before the kings, and this is the time period here um, in First and Second Samuel before the kings, and Samuel will actually um, he will actually anoint the first king. But the book of Judges and the beginning of First Samuel describe a period of great turmoil and disobedience in Israel's history. So after Joshua's death, the Israelites were without a strong leader, and as a result, they quickly fell into disobedience and idolatry. They failed to drive out the remaining Canaanite nations as God had commanded them and instead intermarried with them and adopted their pagan practices in the name of Jehovah, of course, for which they had been warned about in the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments in the book of the law, right? The book of Judges, therefore, records a cycle of sin, judgment, and deliverance that the Israelites experienced. The people would turn away from God and worship false idols, leading to their oppression by neighboring nations. God would raise up a judge or a deliverer, such as Deborah, Gideon, or Samson, to deliver them from their enemies. However, once the threat was removed, the Israelites would once again fall into sin and the cycle would reset. And they would repeat this over and over and over again. And so this pattern of disobedience continued into the beginning of 1 Samuel. As the high priest Eli and his sons, who were also priests, and his sons were corrupt and disobedient. And they abused their power and they took advantage of the people uh, with thievery and adultery. And Eli failed to discipline them properly. As a result, God declared judgment upon Eli's family and they were cut off from the priesthood. The condition of Israel during this time was one of spiritual and moral decay, anarchy, and disobedience. They had turned away from God and his commandments, and as a result, faced constant threats from their enemies. It was a dark time in Israel's history, marked by sin and judgment. But it also serves as a reminder of the importance of obedience and faithfulness to God. The phrase... But every man did that which was right in his own eyes is repeated in the book of Judges, appearing both in Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25. It is cited as a summary of the moral and social conditions of the time of the Judges and shows us that the Israelites had no sense of a shared moral or ethical code which had been detailed for them in the book of the law. Instead, each person did what seemed right to them regardless of God's revealed will, and without any consideration of how it affected others. This, of course, led to a breakdown of social order as people pursued their own self-interest without regard for God and the welfare of their community. The result was chaos and anarchy, with no one willing or able to impose a sense of order or justice on the situation. And so as we continue to set the stage, we need to also understand the battle between Israel and the Philistines in the first part of this chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The Israelites went to war against the Philistines, but they were defeated. That's the gist. 
thinking that the Ark of the Covenant would grant them victory, they brought it from Shiloh to the battlefield. The Philistines were afraid when they saw that the Israelites had the Ark, and they, but that just caused them to fight harder and defeat the Israelites once again. In verse number 5 it says, And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. That's the context of what's going on. And as a result, 30,000 Israelite foot soldiers were killed and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. The sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed in the battle, which fulfilled the prophecy of the man of God that Israel's house would come to an end because of their disobedience and sin. The loss of so many lives was a devastating blow to the Israelites, and the capture of the ark was a humiliation. The ark was a symbol of the presence of power of God, and it represented the covenant between God and his people. Its capture by the Philistines was a sign that God had abandoned his people because of their sin and disobedience. So next, let's notice Israel's mistake in their misuse of the ark. The ark of the covenant was, of course, a sacred symbol of God's presence among the Israelites. It was made according to God's instructions during the time of Moses, and it contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and manna. It was housed in the most holy place of the tabernacle and was only to be handled by the priests. When the Israelites went to war against the Philistines, they decided to take the Ark of the Covenant with them, believing that it would give them an advantage in battle as if it was a good luck charm. A disobedient people, a disobedient people always become superstitious, by the way. They become a superstitious people because they don't have true faith in God and therefore they seek comfort in luck and magical thinking, which is delusional. So the Israelites, their misuse of the ark demonstrated their lack of reverence for God and his commands. But that's no wonder since they were living in rebellion and disobedience and every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. They had grown complacent and they had become convinced that their own strength and resources were sufficient to ensure their success without regard for God's will or his power. So when they carried the ark into the battle against the Philistines, they were defeated and the ark was captured. This was a significant blow to the Israelites as it represented the loss of God's presence and favor, which had previously been symbolized by the ark. The Israelites' misuse of the ark also highlighted their lack of faith in God's ability to protect them. They had become overly reliant upon physical symbols of God's power, such as the ark, rather than putting their trust in God himself and serving him. 
In this sense, their misuse of the ark represented a deeper spiritual problem that needed to be addressed. The capture of the ark was a significant event in Israel's history. The loss of the ark was a sign that God had withdrawn his presence from his people because of their sin and rebellion. It also served as a wake-up call for the Israelites to repent and turn back to God. It was a turning point that marked the beginning of a new era for God's people that Samuel would lead them in. The capture of the ark was a wake-up call to repent and turn back to God, which is also a reminder for us today to do the same. Secondly, let's notice the consequences of sin. Sin, of course, has consequences, and sin has consequences that affects individuals, it affects communities, and even affects generations. Man, if we could remember that, it would help us. That we are cursing those around us and those who are still yet to come. It can lead to spiritual, emotional, and physical harm, damaged relationships, and a separation from God, which is what we learn from Deuteronomy chapter 28. It is either the word of God or it is not. Either God will curse disobedience and bless obedience, or the Bible is not true. And I think we are witnessing, and it is bearing true in our day and time, that it is true. The consequences of sin can be far-reaching and long-lasting, often leading to a cycle of further sin and its effects. Therefore, it is critical and crucial for us to recognize and to acknowledge the effects of sin and seek forgiveness and restoration through repentance and faith in God. But that is not what we find in the generations that existed here in our text. They had sown sin, disobedience, and rebellion. And rather than repenting and trusting God, they decided to trust in relics of the past, which should have served as a means of the present to direct them to faith and repentance. But they misused it. Notice also the death of Eli's sons and the prophecy of his family's downfall. As a consequence of their sin, Eli was a priest and judge in Israel who served at the tabernacle in Shiloh. He had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas who were also priests, but his sons were very wicked and they dishonored God and they blasphemed and profaned his name and his worship. They were thieves and adulterers and although Eli rebuked them, they did not listen to him and Eli did not discipline them properly. Because of their wickedness, God sent a prophet to Eli to deliver a message of judgment. And the prophet said that because of the sins of Eli's sons, his family line would not continue to serve as priests. In fact, God promised to cut off Eli's descendants from the priesthood forever. And this judgment was not just for Eli's son's sins, but also for Eli's failure to discipline them and to honor God as he should have. Later, the Israelites go to battle against the Philistines and Eli's sons go with them, taking the Ark of the Covenant with them as a symbol of God's presence. However, the Israelites were defeated and Hophni and Phinehas were killed. When Eli heard the news, he fell backwards off of, I believe it was a wall, and broke his neck and died. 
Thus, the prophecy of judgment against Eli's family was fulfilled. And it shows us that sin has consequences, not only upon us, but for those around us. And not only our personal sin, but the sin that we fail to restrain. And then notice another consequence, the loss of the ark and the humiliation of Israel before the Philistines, as we have mentioned. It was a humiliating defeat before the Philistines, and it serves as a reminder that God's presence cannot be used as a talisman or a good luck charm, that instead it requires true faith and obedience for God's presence to bring blessings and victory. And then third, let's notice the hope in God's faithfulness. You see, hope in God's faithfulness is the assurance that he will fulfill his promises even in the most difficult and uncertain circumstances. As we trust in, the, in his character and his word, we can have confidence that he will never leave us nor forsake us and that his plans for us are good. Even when we face trials and challenges, we can hold on to the hope that God is with us, working all things together for our ultimate good and his glory. This hope gives us the strength to persevere in faith, knowing that God is faithful and true. Those who do not have hope in God's faithfulness often struggle with despair, doubt, and anxiety, feeling lost and helpless in the face of life's challenges. They rely on their own strength and resources or seek temporary solutions that offer no lasting comfort or peace. Ultimately, their lack of hope in God's faithfulness can lead to a sense of purposelessness and a feeling of being disconnected from the divine source of love, grace, and mercy. Let's consider quickly these examples in the Old Testament where Israel did not demonstrate hope in God's faithfulness. First of all, we think about the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the wilderness just after God delivered them from Egypt. They did not trust that God would provide for him, for them and doubted his faithfulness. We think of their disobedience in the wilderness and also in the promised land. As they turned away from God's commands and worshipped idols, demonstrating their lack of faith in God's faithfulness. And then also, when they were in the uh, promised land, we see their fear and doubt when facing their enemies, such as the giants in Canaan. They did not trust that God would be faithful in giving them victory. And then we see the Israelites' rejection of God's prophets, such as Samuel and Jeremiah, who called them to repent and to turn back to God. And they did not have faith in God's faithfulness to forgive and to restore them. And then we see the Israelites' reliance upon foreign powers and alliances instead of trusting in God's provision and protection. They did not have faith in God's faithfulness to be their only hope of source and salvation, and therefore they would look to others. And then consider these examples in the Old Testament when Israel demonstrated hope in God's faithfulness. In the Exodus, despite their enslavement and their harsh treatment in Egypt, the Israelites trusted that God would deliver them. Moses reminded them of God's promise to rescue them from bondage, and they eventually saw God's mighty hand at work through the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. Then we see the conquest of Canaan under Joshua as they trusted in God's faithfulness to give them victory over the inhabitants of the land promised to them by God. We see 
this faithfulness in the reigns of David and Jer- uh, excuse me, David and Solomon, um, as they both relied upon God's faithfulness to establish and strengthen their kingdoms. We see this faithfulness demonstrated in their return from exile under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. We also see it in the reign of Josiah, who was one of the last kings of Judah before the Babylonian captivity. How that he began to reign at the age of eight, and during his reign he sought to turn the nation back to God. And so he ordered the repair of the temple, and he rediscovered the book of the law in the temple during its uh, repair. And that led to a reformation that included the destruction of idols and places of worship for false gods, and also ridding the land of Sodomites. And so we see his faith in God's faithfulness as it was demonstrated through his efforts to restore proper worship of God and obedience to God's laws among the people of Judah. But in all of the bad examples, what do we notice? The complicity of the people in rebellion against God. Popular opinion. The populism of the people. Yes, they may have had bad kings and leaders, but the people loved to have it so in order to do what was right in their own eyes. And what do we notice in the good examples? Powerful leaders who restrained the people and led them to do what was right even when their heart was not in it. And then, there are some examples, like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Even though their lack of faith had dire consequences, they were led through and overcame these challenges due to the strong leadership of Moses, proving that when Paul said in Romans 13 that the primary purpose of civil government is to restrain evil, he was not joking. And then... As we consider these things, we notice the birth of a new child to Phineas's wife. The birth of a new child to the wife of Phineas should have been a sign, or it should have signified that the Lord's mercies are new every morning, just as Jeremiah discovered that in the midst of great desolation in Lamentations chapter 3. Hear what Jeremiah said as he is surveying the land, and it's nothing but destruction. Nothing left. Completely destroyed. And, and, and Jeremiah says this, My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fell not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And yet Phineas's wife does not have that hope. Notice in our text. Now, his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of the covenant of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. What should have been a joyous 
occasion was a bitter, joyless, and despairing day. Sin always is always depicted, right, as a good time. But it did not end up so good as we see here in our text. It's kind of like Freddie Mercury. Everyone remember Freddie Mercury from Queen? It's kind of like Freddie Mercury singing, Don't Stop Me Now. Remember that song? Anybody remember that song, Don't Stop Me Now? Tonight, I'm going to have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world, I'll turn it inside out. Yeah, I'm floating around in ecstasy. So don't stop me now. Don't stop me because I'm having a good time, having a good time. Even though that is the legacy of Freddie Mercury that gets played over and over again on the radio, the reality was that the end of Freddie Mercury is full of pain and misery, both physically and psychologically, until he finally wasted away in a horrible death. Dying from AIDS in the 1980s was a painful and ugly death for people who were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. It's not a good time. And what would have been better would have been for society to have stopped them even though they were singing, don't stop me now, it would have been better if they had been stopped. Meaning restrained. Societal sin and disobedience against God being restrained. But I am sure Israel had their musicians in this day and time singing their version of don't stop me now because I'm having a good time. And so, it is coming to a head And now they're not having a good time. Phineas is not having a good time. Phineas' wife is not having a good time because they are void of faith. But yet, in the very midst of this, there's another corresponding story going on. To depict the difference between hopelessness, which is faithlessness, and faithfulness, which is hopefulness. In this day of corruption and decay here in first samuel chapter 4 there is another woman who has previously recently given birth to her son and her name is hannah in first samuel chapter 1 and 2 hannah and phineas's wife represent two different attitudes toward god and his faithfulness in the midst of difficult times. Hannah is a model of faithfulness in the face of difficulty, while Phineas's wife is a picture of hopelessness and despair. Hannah believed that God would fulfill his promises even when the circumstances seemed impossible. She prayed and believed that God would give her a child, and when he did, she dedicated him to God's service. She trusted in God's faithfulness and was blessed with more children. In contrast, Phineas's wife had lost hope and believed that God had abandoned her. She had lost her husband and her father-in-law, and now her, uh, and, and, and then she named her uh, recently born child upon the end of that great defeat, Ichabod, which means the glory has departed, symbolizing her belief that God had left Israel. She could not see past her present circumstances. She would not acknowledge the consequences of their sin. And she had lost faith in God's faithfulness. 
The difference between the two women lies in their perspective on God and his promises. Hannah saw God's faithfulness even before her prayer was answered. While Phineas's wife only saw the circumstances and felt abandoned. As modern Christians, we are encouraged to have faith like Hannah, trusting in God's faithfulness even in the midst of trials and tribulations and afflictions. And then, of course, there's significance with this name Ichabod. It means the glory has departed, or it can be even asked in a question, where is the glory? She is questioning God. Where is the glory? For the glory of God has departed from Israel. You see, God's promises to be faithful to his people regardless of their circumstances or situation. He remains steadfast in his love and mercy and grace even when they are unfaithful and disobedient. He promises to always be with them and to provide for their needs even in times of trouble and hardship. His faithfulness is demonstrated throughout history and through promises in scripture. And no matter what happens, God remains faithful and trustworthy to his word. And his people can always rely on him to fulfill his promises. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel suffered a devastating defeat at the hands of the Philistines, including the loss of the Ark of the Covenant. It is a time of great darkness and despair for the people of Israel, who were struggling to understand why God had allowed this to happen. However, even in the midst of their defeat, God had not abandoned his people. The promise of God's faithfulness despite the circumstances in 1 Samuel chapter 4 can be seen in the fact that God did not allow the Ark of the Covenant to remain in the Philistine hands forever. Despite the Israelites' disobedience and sin, God remained faithful to his promise to be with them and to deliver them from their enemies. In 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, we see that the Philistines were plagued with various calamities, including uh, plagues of, of mice And, as some translations say, tumors, or as the old King James says, hemorrhoids, or not hemorrhoids, emeralds, which was an old term for hemorrhoids. But in the end, the Philistines were forced to return the ark back to the Israelites, was a clear demonstration of God's faithfulness and God's power. Despite the dark and uncertain circumstances that the Israelites found themselves in, God was faithful to his promise to protect and deliver his people. And this should serve as a reminder to us today that no matter what circumstances we face, God is always faithful and will never abandon us. Phineas's wife, in the birth of her son, named him Ichabod. The glory has departed. And Hannah prayed in faith faith that God would give her a son and she dedicated him to the service of the Lord and Samuel would become a prophet a judge and a deliverer in Israel you see the proper application of biblical text is important because it helps us to understand how to live according to God's will today to grow in our faith and to develop a deeper relationship with him You see, the Bible is not merely a book of information, but a book of transformation. The truths and principles contained in the Bible are intended to be applied to our daily lives and to guide us in our decision-making today. 
Therefore, making proper applications of biblical texts is essential to living a life that is pleasing to God and to fulfilling his purposes for us. It is important to consider the context, the audience, and the intended meaning of the text, as well as how it relates to our current situation and how we can apply it in a way that honors God and reflects his character. And so there are several applications that I believe we should draw from this this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And that, first of all, is do not take the presence of God for granted. The Israelites mistakenly believed that the presence of the ark guaranteed their victory, but they were defeated because of their disobedience and sin. Remember the story of Samson? The Spirit of God would come upon him, and he was this mighty man. And so the Philistines would come upon Israel, and he would defeat them by his own hands because of the presence and power of God upon him. But because of his continued sin and disobedience there was a day in which they said samson the philistines be upon you and the bible says that he got up and he shook himself just like before and did not realize that the spirit of god had went from him you see sin and disobedience we should avoid presuming upon god's grace and mercy but instead live a life of holiness and obedience to God. From a biblical and historical point of view, we Christians in Western civilization are taking the presence of God, and we have taken the presence of God for granted in several ways, especially here in America, as we are always looking back, talking about the blessings of God upon America and what was done for us, not realizing that the Spirit of God has went from us. We are no longer that land. We no longer have the presence of God. We are so caught up and so many different things, and so many different distractions, that we have actually, on an individual sense, neglected to cultivate a deep and intimate relationship with God ourselves. We are relying upon, we have relied upon external expressions of faith without seeking after God with our whole heart. And when this happens, it leads to a shallow and superficial faith that lacks the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the danger of idolizing religious objects. The Israelites treated the ark as a good luck charm and thought it would bring them success, but they were sorely mistaken. And Christians should avoid idolizing religious objects or rituals and remember that true worship involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It involves faith and repentance. But idolizing religious objects can be defined as placing an undue importance or reverence upon physical objects or symbols that are associated with the faith. And here are some ways in which that has happened, like with statues and icons or relics. Relics are supposed to be a reminder of the past to cause us to look to God because he has been faithful. But instead, we begin to worship them, trust in them. We trust even in our own 
our own church buildings and furnishings and ease and prosperity. And then we need to consider the consequences of sin. You see, this passage serves as a reminder of the consequences of sin, and we need to recognize that sin has serious consequences, and therefore we should strive to live a life that honors God. Sin has profound and far-reaching consequences that impact not only the individual, but also those around them and society as a whole. It disrupts the relationship between God and man leading to spiritual death and separation from him. It brings physical, emotional, and relational pain and suffering, leading to brokenness in all aspects of life. And isn't that what we are witnessing in 2023 here in the United States of America? And so, we need to understand the consequences of sin. Therefore, We need to acknowledge that our only hope is true repentance and renewal. And turn back to God instead of always looking at the Israelites in the past and saying, well, they should have repented. We need to realize that we are them. And then we need to Understand the importance of repentance. Even in the midst of defeat and judgment, there is always hope for repentance and restoration. Christians should recognize the importance of repentance and turning back to God in times of hardship and struggle. We need to recognize our own sin and to acknowledge it and confess it and respond in repentance. The Israelites' defeat in battle, the loss of the Ark of the Covenant, were a direct result of their disobedience against God. And we must recognize our own sin and respond in repentance, turning away from our sin and turning back to God in humility and submission. And then we also need to understand God's faithfulness in spite of human failure. God is not restricted by man. Despite the obedience and sin of the Israelites, God remained faithful to his covenant promises. And Christians can take comfort in the fact that God remains faithful even when we fail. And we can trust his steadfast love and mercy. You see, God's faithfulness in spite of human failure is a constant theme throughout the Bible. It's what the Bible is about. God's faithfulness in the midst of of a sinful world. So when we look at this story here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it should serve as a powerful reminder of the consequences of sin and the importance of recognizing our own failures. We see that when the Israelites put their trust in their own strength and disregarded God's commands, they suffered devastating defeats. Yet, even in the midst of failure, we also see God's faithfulness in preserving a remnant and continuing to work towards his ultimate purposes. And we are not immune to the same dangers today. As a matter of fact, we are in a similar circumstances and are suffering similar things. 
And we must constantly be vigilant against the temptation to trust ourselves rather than in God and to recognize the importance of repentance and turning back to him when we inevitably fall short. So what I hope that we learn from this today is that there is the way to respond in faith like Hannah or in faithlessness like Phineas' wife. And which is it going to be? Father, we come to you with hearts full of gratitude for your faithfulness, even in the midst of our failures and disobedience. And we recognize that our sin can have severe consequences, but we thank you for the hope and promise of your unfailing love and mercy. Help us to trust in you more deeply and to recognize the gravity of our sins and to repent and turn back to you. May we never take your presence or your word for granted and may we always seek to honor and glorify you in all that we do bless us with your grace and your peace and guide us as we strive to follow your will and we ask this through christ our lord amen